Good morning, Heritage Bible Church. Uh, obviously, Pastor Dave here, but obviously, Pastor Dave not here. Well, uh, sickness has struck our home, and it seemed like a good idea for me and Teresa to stay home today just to make sure that we didn't get anyone sick, didn't, didn't do anything like that. So, uh, luckily, I had enough time to uh, take the sermon that I had prepared, and I'm giving it to an empty church, uh, just like Zoom. Anybody else having a Zoom flashback? Uh, I hope this works out okay. Uh, it is a good message. It's a good passage of scripture, and I'm going to give it to you right now. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Actually, before Acts chapter 10, let's go back a little bit. Let's go to Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. What I want to do is I want to remind us of what's happening in the book of Acts. Acts is a book of transition, and there's a lot of transitioning happened. But I also want you to see that Acts is, is a record of obedience, and it's a record of faithfulness. So we see the apostles doing what the apostles were told to do, and we see God doing what God said he would do. So God has provided the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is now leading and the apostles are following the commands given to them. One of those commands is in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, where it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, this was Jesus' last statement to the apostles we call it the Great Commission. It carries over to us in principle because the apostles started it, and it's our job to finish it. But I want to break that down into five parts. Look at your notes. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 is carried out by the apostles and the church. So everything that it says, we should be seeing. As a matter of fact, I think we've already seen it, which is why I want to highlight it now. The first thing it says is go. The apostles were not to stay in the upper room. They were not to stay isolated. They were not to stay hidden. They were to get out and they were to go. Okay, so have they gone? Well, Peter spoke out first at Pentecost. Then we have John. We have Peter and John interacting with a variety of people. Philip went to Samaria. Saul was saved and there were disciples in Damascus. There were also uh, disciples in Joppa and Lydda and everywhere else we've seen. So everywhere we've read about, whether it be Jerusalem, whether it be Samaria, whether it be Judea, whether it be these cities that were named, everywhere that we've read about, the word has gone out. The, the message of Christ has reached them. People are being saved. People are being reached. So the go is taking place. And as we read farther in Acts, we're going to see them going farther away. Uh, number two, or B in your notes, uh, what you put on that blank there is make disciples. They were to go, not just to be somewhere, but they had a job to do. They were to make disciples. And so we see disciples being made in Jerusalem. We see disciples being made in Judea and Samaria. At least we have the report of those disciples. We see the Ethiopian eunuch undoubtedly taking the message back to Ethiopia after Philip helped him convert. We see the gospel message being present in Damascus when Saul shows up. And then we see it in, in, in Lydda, in Sharon, in Joppa, and now in Caesarea as Peter is, is moving about. 
So they are going, they are making disciples. So the next thing it says is baptize them. And after every conversion we read about, almost, almost completely, we read that they were baptized. So we know that's taking place. And then it says teach them. And we see Stephen, Philip, and James, all people who are teaching and leading, who were not apostles. So the apostles are teaching these fellows. These fellows are stepping up into leadership. We see deacons, we see evangelists, and we see pastors here. So we have the apostles teaching the next group, them going out doing their job. So we have them going, we have disciples being made, we have baptisms taking place. We have people being taught and people learning. And then it says, I will be with you always. Matter of fact, the exact words are, I am with you always. And I don't think that's an accident. The I am refers to God. God is with you always. Jesus is saying, I as God am with you always. And as we look at Acts, we see that the Holy Spirit as God is with them always. As a matter of fact, today we're going we're gonna to hear about the Holy Spirit actually speaking to Peter. So what we are commanded to do and, and the program we were assigned to, the outline we were given in Matthew 28, is exactly what's happening. So we have God's work being done. We have God's people doing his work. We have the provision of God coupled with the obedience of man, and we see some great things happening. So that, that's, just, that's just one thing. Number two in your notes, Acts 1.8 is also being accomplished. Acts 1.8, we should read that really quick. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We definitely see that happening. They're being empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're being spoken to by the Holy Spirit. They're doing miracles by the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where they were. In Judea and Samaria. That's Judea to the south, Samaria to the north, and the ends of the earth. So we're seeing that happening. We're seeing them spread out farther as we as we move through the book of acts and i just want to say that how, does, how that might relate to us our jerusalem is our own family and our own friends it, it's it's our hometown okay it's it's my neighborhood our samaria and, and judea is, is my community and my surrounding community it's it's a layer out so i have my the people i interact with regularly then i have the people i interact with somewhat i have my community I have even my region, if you will. And then we have to the ends of the earth. That's beyond my borders. Now, as a church, we have tried to make this our outline for missions. Uh, we pray for our family. We uh, share the gospel with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers. Uh, we should be doing that every chance we get. That should be our number one priority, is making sure that those around us, our loved ones, our coworkers, the people we hang out with, know that we're believers, that they can see Christ in us, and at any point in time we can share with them how to become saved. That's our first priority. Our second priority is our community or our region. That's why we invest in um, the pregnancy center. That's an outreach serving a particular group of people in our region. That's why we participate in Vacation Bible School as a community. That's why we do the community men's youth group. That's why when the ladies have their one-day retreat, they invite the community. We're trying to reach out to be a part of the greater community. We're trying to reach out to the unsaved as well as fellow believers. So we want to reach the people we're closest to. Then we want to reach the people we live around. 
and eventually we want to get to beyond our borders. And that's where Samaritan's Purse comes in with our, with our shoe boxes. That's where uh, Bible translation that we've been a part of in the past comes in. That's where our missionaries come in. That's how we support. So we want to be active, sharing the gospel, seeing people baptized, teaching them right here where we're at, to the north and to the south, the east and to the west in our region, and then beyond our borders. So we are continuing to follow the same example. So Matthew 28 is being accomplished and fulfilled. Acts 1.8 is being accomplished and fulfilled, both on God's side and on man's side. We have the provision and the obedience. And number three, this is review. I want to remind you, I want to mention this again. Our lack of obedience cannot thwart God's efforts or plans. If I say no to God, God doesn't stop and wonder what to do. He knew I would say no. He has another plan. So my lack of obedience, our lack of obedience, cannot in any way thwart God's efforts or plans. But that does not give us an excuse or a, or, or, or a trump card that says we don't have to do what God wants. Because, and for the, this reason most of all, my lack of obedience can stop me from receiving the blessing resulting from obedience. If Peter hadn't gone, Jesus would have sent someone else. If Philip hadn't gone, God would have sent someone else. If Stephen hadn't preached, someone else would have. But Stephen received the blessing, and Philip received the blessing, and Peter and John received the blessing, and they get to be a part of what God's doing. So I can't stop what God's doing. It, I may slow it down, but I can't stop it. I may only slow it down by my reference points, but not God's. But I definitely am missing out on the blessing. So in order to receive blessing from God, I need to obey God. I need to do what God says. And that was something we brought up last week. And then before, God always responds to a seeker with gospel truth and an opportunity. God never lets anyone wonder who he is. God never lets anyone who's seeking him not find him. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be answered. Remember that scripture. Very quickly, let's look at some context from last week. Number one, Jews and Gentiles generally hated one another, and as your note says, but can tolerate as necessary. Uh, they would do business if it meant they made money. They would interact if it meant survival. But for the most part, they didn't like each other. They didn't want to have anything to do with each other, and they obeyed those rules. So Jews and Gentiles generally stayed away from one another, didn't like each other at all. Number two, Cornelius was a well-respected, credible, easily identified Gentile of the worst kind, meaning Roman. He was a Roman centurion, but he was well-respected on both sides. The Jews respected him because he was a God-fearer. We talked about that last week. And the Romans respected him because he was a centurion. So he had the respect of the Gentiles and the Jews. He was very credible, easily identified. And if he said these series of events took place, just as explained in, in the book of Acts, then they would believe him. If it had been some random guy without any credentials, they might not have believed him. But it's really hard to argue with a Roman centurion who says, hey, this is what happened. And by the way, it's exactly the way Peter said as well. So number three, Peter was the lead apostle. 
He's called a super apostle at some time. He often spoke for the apostles. He stood up when the apostles needed to do something or say something. He was the most influential Christian within the New Covenant. He, he literally was uh, the main guy at this time. And so we have in this story uh, Cornelius, the respected centurion, and Peter, the respected Christian, both telling the same story from their own perspective in such a way that, number one, anyone would have someone to go ask, is this true? And both stories have credibility. And why is that important? Because at number four, there's a huge transition on the horizon. And this was made possible because of a time of peace. Remember the passage started last week with, it's a time of peace. So God created a time of peace for the events that we're going to talk about. Now we only went through part one of three parts of the story. Today we're going to get part two of the story. So we heard about Cornelius and his visit from the angel. Now we're going to hear about Peter and his vision. So let's look at chapter 10, verse 9. Let's read it together. I'll comment as we go, and then we'll come back to our notes. So verse 9 says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey. So it's noon the following day, whatever day it was. Let's say it happened on Wednesday. This is noon on Thursday. They are the two men and the soldier. So the two men and the soldier are on their journey. It's about noon. So about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So while they're traveling, Peter goes up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now a trance is a, a dream while you're not sleeping, if you will. I think you can probably figure what out what we're talking about. It's, it's not that uncommon of language even today. He was seeing things like a dream, even though he was not in bed sleeping. That's the difference between a vision and a dream. So this is a vision. So verse 11, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Get up, Peter kill and eat surely not lord peter replied i've never eaten anything impure or unclean so we can stop there and i can tell you that the animals that were on the sheet were unclean animals they were the forbidden animals they were the ones that god said you can never eat these and the jewish people from from everything i i understand were very good at this law they never really went against this law while they had plenty of sheep to eat to begin with. They never went outside of this law. So Peter, uh, like every other Jew in the day, would have had the attitude of, no, never, never, never have I, never will I. And, and we kind of see that there. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything unclean or anything impure that God has made clean. Don't, don't, don't call anything impure. Don't argue with me, in a sense. Verse 16, this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. So Peter, it's over now. Peter's sitting there thinking, what does this mean? What am I supposed to do? Uh, how am I supposed to respond to this? The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. Why did they stop at the gate? 
because they're Gentiles. Gentiles were not allowed in the house or the yard of a Jew. So if they wanted to speak to the Jew, they called out from the gate. The Jew inside would come out in the yard. They would speak across the fence, if you will, and then both could leave without causing any damage in that, that system they had created. So they stopped at the gate, verse 18. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, so see the overlap in the story there. Peter's wondering what's happening while they arrive. They ask for him while he's still thinking about it. Okay? They cry out, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up. Now, it's not a vision anymore. The Holy Spirit is speaking to Simon. Simon, there are three men looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So we had Jesus talking to Peter before. Now we have the Holy Spirit talking to him. Okay, Peter went down and said to them, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? That's really interesting how he said that. We'll talk about that in a minute. The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man. Remember, he would have been a God-fearer. That's the second level of Gentile. Believing in the Jewish God, but not converting yet. He was respected by all the Jewish people. A holy, a holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house, again, forbidden, so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the, into the house to be his guests, also forbidden. So Peter invites them into his Jewish home. They invite Peter into their Gentile home. Both of these are, are bad things. So let's go to our notes. Let's talk about a few things. Let's talk about the vision at first. Uh, when I hear the word sheet, I generally think of the sheet that goes on my bed. So, you know, anywhere between a twin and a king-size sheet. Well, that's not big enough. You need to think of a sheet of snow or a sheet of ice. Very, very large. Uh, think of the kind of thing God would do to make a point. Peter's having a vision. So this doesn't have to happen in reality. It's something that God is showing him in his mind. He has a vision and a very large sheet comes down from heaven. I'm guessing at least the size of this room, if not the size of our entire property, comes down from heaven. It's very large. There's many animals on it. Four-footed animals, reptiles, and birds. What would reptiles be? Well, lizards, maybe alligators, things like that. There's birds, four-footed animals, pigs, horses, cattle, who knows what's on there. There's a lot of animals, though. They're all unclean. We know they're unclean because of Peter's response. Okay, so the animals are unclean. They're forbidden. They've never been eaten by the Jews. They've never been eaten by Peter. <coughs> this was a, a huge change that Peter was about to be confronted with. And then the voice is Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, you see the words, get up, Peter, kill and eat in red. And then do not call anything impure that God has made clean in red. So your translators have decided this is Jesus speaking. It fits the text. All right. Everything in here would imply it's Jesus speaking. It also fits the, 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 how the whole Bible works. There's nothing that would indicate this isn't Jesus. So if it is Jesus, you can bet that Peter recognized his voice. So Peter recognizes a very familiar voice who's telling him to do something. 
And even in the face of the voice of Jesus, Peter responds the way he did. That's number two, Peter's response to the vision. Well, he actually responded three times because it said uh, this, this happened three times, the message and the response three times. I don't think the response was probably quite the same each time, although we don't have it recorded, so I'm speculating a bit. But we do know the first response. His first response was, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Uh, in today's language, it might be someone reacting like, I've never. I, I won't. There's no way. Impossible. Peter says, I've never eaten anything unclean and I'm not about to. I have been raised since birth strict not to eat things like this. I can't do it. In other words, he's defensive. Jesus had told him many things over, over the three to four years now that he had known him, and Peter often responded with, no, that can't be. That's not right. We can't do it that way. And then Jesus would have to correct him, or he would have to rebuke him. Again, Jesus says, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And, and Peter says, no, no, I can't do that. The second time, the questions asked, I think Peter responds a little differently. I think there's movement on Peter's part. Uh, Jesus says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And this time I'm, I'm, I'm projecting a questioning tone. Jesus, are you asking me to do the unthinkable? Are you asking me to do something I've, I've never done? Uh, and so I would guess the progression. It, it happens three times, so Peter's not fully on board yet. The second time, I think, is questioning. We start with a defensive response. Then we have a questioning response. We start with, no way. We move to, are you sure? Is this, is this for real? The third time, he says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter responds differently. Now he's wondering. There's no need for a fourth command. Peter responds differently. We don't have that response. I believe it would be something like, what am I supposed to do with this? How do I respond? How do I obey? I'm always willing to obey you, Jesus, but I don't know what this means. Verse 17 says, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, what am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to obey? What are you trying to tell me? That's Peter's response. Number three in your notes, I want to talk about God's timing. Notice God's timing. The people are coming as Peter has the vision. When the vision ends and Peter's wondering what's going on, the people, people call for him from the gate. As, as Peter gets that calling, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit steps in and says, go with him, they're from me, this is part of my plan. And then Peter gets down there and he has an understanding of the vision. See, not being in association with the Gentile was about the same caliber as not eating unclean meat. In the past, Peter would have never invited them into this man's house he was staying in. And in the past, Peter would have never traveled with them, let alone traveled with the intention of entering Cornelius' home. He also would have never had a thought that he should go to a faraway Gentile, no, no relation at all to the Jews, and share the gospel with them. But that's what was changing. The gospel was now going to the Gentiles, as Jesus had told them it would, as Jesus commanded them to do. So God is progressing his plan that we talked about in the beginning. So we have God's timing. Peter had his vision as the men are getting closer. The men find Simon's house just after the vision ends. And then God gave Peter his answer. What does this mean? Right when he needed it. 
And then we have Peter's response to God again. This is where we get the what happened next. How did Peter actually respond? It's, it's two things. He says, why have you come? He wants to know what they're there for. God said, um, do not hesitate to go with them for I've sent them. Didn't tell them what they were going to do. He said, why have you come? He opened the door to hear what they wanted. He opened the door for them to speak from God. And he opened the door for him to say, okay, I'll do that. So we have the opening of the door there in that comment. And then he says, come inside and be my guest. Then Peter, verse 23, invited the men into the house to be his guests. He was really stepping out here because he didn't invite them into his home to be his guest. He invited them into Simon the Tanner's home to be his guest. So he's imposing on Simon the Tanner to say, I'm bringing these Gentiles into your home to be my guest. So he's like a double infringement here. He's really pushing the boundaries. But he's doing it because of what the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit says, go with them. Now, inviting them in to stay the night and leave in the morning is, is an even bigger act of obedience than packing his bags and leaving right there. Because if he had packed his bags and left right there, he wouldn't have had to cross the boundary of letting them into the, his, his dwelling. He would have only had to cross the barrier of traveling with them at that point. But he did it all. He invited them in to spend, spend the night, and he said, I'll go with you in the morning. So we have Peter's response to God being openness for God's leading and obedience to God's command. So we heard about Cornelius last week. We learned about Peter this week. Next week, we'll learn about Cornelius and Peter together at, at Cornelius' house. But what lessons can we learn from today? What can we learn from today? Each week, we're trying to find things in the text that we can learn from. What can we learn from today? Number one. The third or fourth time God tells you to do something or tells you something is probably important. Now, the first time God tells you to do something or the first time God shares something with you, guess what? It's important. If he repeats himself, we get the idea it's, it's kind of really important. But when he says it three times or four times, there's no doubt that God really wants us to listen, obey, and practice whatever he's saying. So themes that are repeated in scripture, really important. Lists of sins were to avoid that come up over and over and over again, really important. Commands that we're supposed to do that keep coming up, really important. Promises that are repeated, really important for us to know so we can live correctly. Well, Peter hears this message three times. This is not the first time Peter's heard something more than once. He can be a little bit hard-headed like us. And Peter realized having been told three times that he really, really needed to obey. And so when these guys showed up, he went against everything he knew as a Jew, everything he knew about clean and unclean, and he obeyed God. I tried to think of an illustration that would illustrate how we would feel if something happened so that we could feel like Peter. I, I, it would be like God coming down and, and totally reversing a doctrine that's so clear in Scripture. And us having to go, okay, it's you, God, so yeah. That's, that's kind of what happened here. The, the old covenant was passing away. The new covenant was taking his place. And Peter needed to transition. And so God took Peter through this process. But I want you to hear that if God keeps bringing something up in your scripture reading, or you keep 
hearing the same point emphasized in a sermon or on the radio or in your devotions or in your Bible study, if it keeps coming up in, in a variety of forms, but it's the same message, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you. That's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, this is what I want you to work on right now. This is what I want you to think about and focus on. So that's number one. That's the first lesson. Number two, God always prepares both sides of an encounter so that his will will be accomplished. God prepared Peter. God prepared Cornelius. God prepared both of them to, to interact in what we're going to read next week. He prepared them for this encounter. And I started thinking, well, did God do that before? I thought about Peter and, and the miracle of tongues. The sermon is actually the, the main point of that passage, not the tongues. The sermon is the main point. So did God prepare Peter for the sermon and the people to hear the sermon? Well, God prepared Peter for three and a half years, prepared him by letting him see the resurrection, prepared him by his teaching, prepared him by giving him the Holy Spirit, prepared him by restoring him at the side of the lake after he denied him three times. God prepared Peter to give that sermon, but did he prepare the people to hear it? Yeah, he gave them the miracle of tongues. They were so um, astonished and so amazed by the miracle of tongues that they were willing to listen to Peter. Then Peter spoke the truth and 3,000 people got saved. Was Philip prepared to, to meet Simon the sorcerer? Simon the sorcerer was the local miracle maker. And Simon saw Philip's miracles and said, wow, these are real miracles. I can't do this. Simon, or God prepared Philip to go do these things. God prepared Simon to see these things. So yeah, he prepared Philip in the Ethiopian. Did Philip have the knowledge of, by being taught by Jesus, maybe? By the apostles, probably? By other, other believers? Did Philip have the information that the Ethiopian needed? Yeah. So Philip was prepared to teach the Ethiopian. Did, was the Ethiopian prepared? Yeah, he had been seeking God. He, he was probably one of those, uh, those ones that hadn't yet converted, but was definitely following the God of Scripture. That, so he's one of those folks. Paul, or Saul and Ananias. Ananias was told, hey, Saul's coming. That was prepared ahead of time. So God often, or I would say always, God always prepares both sides. So when God asks you to talk to someone, he's already prepared them to hear what you're going to say. When God, when they ask you questions about the Bible, share the truth. Don't, don't water it down. Don't uh, make excuses for it. Tell them what it says because God's preparing both sides. You might be part of the preparation for them for their next conversation, for their gospel conversation. You may be the conversation that's been prepared for. But let God be God. Let God's word be God's word. Speak the truth of God's word. Do it with lovingness and kindness, but speak the truth and let that happen and let God work out the details. Our job is always to listen and obey. All right? And that's actually number, the, the big idea at the bottom of the page there. So number one, when God repeats himself, pay attention. Number two, God always prepares both sides of the encounter. Number three, God's plans have always and will always move forward at his pace. We just need to do our part. We just need to be available. Cornelius wasn't new to religion and Peter wasn't new to controversy. But God did not put them together until this point in time. The big idea, listen to God. 
especially when he repeats himself. But listen to God. Listen to what he says in his word. Listen to what the Holy Spirit prompts you in your heart. Listen to God and obey what he asks. This, this whole thing hinges on Cornelius listening and obeying. Peter listening and obeying. Both been giving messages that, that did not go along with what they had been taught as children and what they learned as adults. So listen to God, obey what he asked, knowing that in faith, God's got everything under control. Let God be God. Don't try to be God for him. Don't try to tell God what to do. Let him know what your plans are. Listen to him, do what he says, and then let him work out the details. Let him work out the timeline. Let him work out the circumstances. And I just want to say that when God does that, it's not necessarily to accomplish my will or your will, but his will. His will must be accomplished. Our will must conform to his will. So as I'm listening and as I'm obeying, my attitude needs to be, God, you're in charge. I'll follow you where you go. Take this where you want it to go. Do with it what you want to do with it. I'm yours. I will do your part. So we're two-thirds of the way through the story. We're, we're, we're seeing the transition coming. I'll tell you to look forward to. Uh, the, the, it's, it's so sounds not monumental to us, but to them, it was the biggest thing so far in, in their new journey. The gospel of Jesus Christ was being opened up to the Gentiles. And the Jews had to let go of their prejudice as well as the Gentiles against the Jews. And this new, this new thing, pretty soon to be called Christianity, uh, maybe by now being called the way, but this new thing about Jesus being the Messiah and having a new covenant and a way to have your sins forgiven, this is all moving forward. And if it wasn't for people listening to God and obeying, it would not be moving forward. And who knows what God has in store for us? Who knows what God wants to do with us as we listen and obey? So that's the challenge. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we have the technology to have a sermon, even though we can't all be here together. Thank you that you give us the example of Cornelius and Peter, who both listened to what you had to say and obeyed what you commanded. Thank you that you took their obedience and you produce something incredible so that we, sitting here today, can be saved just like everyone else. Thank you that you, you, you don't draw those lines. Father, help us to listen to you, help us to obey you, help us to serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen.